Hello, everyone. I'm Holly Pennebaker, and you're listening to a new episode of HCI's Nine to Thrive HR. This podcast features experts and practitioners in the field of HR and brings their knowledge of the most pressing issues facing talent management straight to you. We do talk about current industry problems, but perhaps most importantly, we talk about those solutions you can use in your own organization. Perhaps one of the most talked about topics stems from the need for HR practitioners to be more strategic, but being unclear of exactly what path to take or even how to get started. It's important that the first step is the strongest one you can take because a weak beginning will get you nowhere in driving the business forward. The first step can only be taken with the right tools and mindset. And so we're talking with somebody today who knows all about the best way to go. Here to share some expertise on this topic is Lisa K. Solomon, best-selling author of Moments of Impact and Design a Better Business, New Tools, Skills, and Mindset for Strategy and Innovation. Lisa is a renowned thought leader, educator, and expert on business leadership and culture design. The founding chair of Transformational Practices and Leadership at Singularity University, Solomon works to help companies adapt to the forces of technological and social change by emphasizing their underlying cultures as catalysts for, or detriments to, innovation. She'll join HCI in October for our first ever HR Call to Action Conference to be held in Scottsdale. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So to start out, could you just explain the true meaning of design and how it changes engagement, innovation, and leadership within the organization? Absolutely. Well, first, I just want to thank you for all of the work that you and everyone at HCI is doing to help HR leaders and managers and anyone in the field feel more prepared for this world that we're living in that is filled with uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, and in some cases, real worry about what's going to happen next. And I love the idea of empowering HR leaders with the skills and tools that they need in order to create environments, teams, and organizations that not just survive these times, but really thrive. And so to me, the idea of HR leaders and managers becoming designers of environments, designers of exchanges of value that can create new ideas without all of the data is very, very exciting because I believe at the core, if you make decisions that affect other people, and I think everybody listening on this podcast can say, yep, that's me, I believe you are a designer. Being a designer means being intentional about the choices that you make in order to help others be successful. Great way to start us off there, Lisa. And so when I think about a design, I almost think that you can start from a blank canvas and almost cater each feature to best fit your needs. Would you say that's the case here? Yeah, it's a great question, Holly. What's great about design is that it's flexible as a set of practices, and you can actually start anywhere. So for some people that are starting a new initiative, you have the option of starting with a blank slate. But for many people working day in, day out around an existing process or program, they don't have that luxury. And so design will actually allow you to identify what are the things that are non-negotiable, what are the constraints, 
And what are the things that are actually more flexible than we thought? And sometimes starting with those constraints can actually be a liberating way of challenging the things that you thought were fixed, but are in fact flexible. So I think design can really help anyone who is looking to bring something new forward because it asks us first to be in a discovery mode. How do we take stock of where we are right now? And equally important, how do we make sure that whatever choice we're making is going to help the people that we have uh, on the other side of that choice, how do we help them become more successful? So it has a user or human-centered approach to the entire process. A great way of explaining that, Lisa. And so let's move on and talk about how you can utilize the practicing of design to create a more generative, collaborative, and future-focused way of working. Yeah, such a great question, Holly. And I love the fact that you use the word practice. I'm obsessed with that word practice because the things we practice are the things we get better at. They are the things we get stronger in. And there's a lot of attention right now to design in the process of design thinking. That's perhaps a a term that many of your listeners have heard before. Design thinking as a process, which got popularized in the last 10 years with an innovation firm uh, in Silicon Valley called IDEO, and of course at the Stanford D School that came out of IDEO, the process of design thinking is really a method to help all of us learn the practices of design. So the process of design thinking has a certain set of steps that you take in order to go through a discovery process to understand what your users or what might actually create value and an experimental or iterative process to understand if those ideas actually are the ideas that will create value for the intended users. So design thinking really helps give a structure to learning the practices of design. The practices of design to me are things that we can actually practice every day. We don't need a design thinking process to help us get started. And very simply, those are paying more attention to the world around us. So observing differently, questioning differently, giving form to new ideas in the earliest way possible, often through visualizing those ideas, finding ways to test those ideas in interesting ways, and learning how to tell stories about those ideas so that others can get on board. We don't necessarily need to be tasked with being on the innovative task force in order to start practicing those practices. I practice design every day, whether I'm at home or I'm doing work. Every day, I ask myself to be in observing mode, to be in questioning mode, and to be courageous enough to put new ideas out there that don't necessarily have the evidence that they're going to be successful. I really like the way you put that, Lisa. And so it's almost like, why would you ever want to go a different way? And not only does it incorporate innovation, but as a practice, you're able to practice one way or the other to find out which is truly the best way to go. And I'm even picturing myself going through a grocery store thinking, you know, how can I design grocery shopping to be the most effective and get me out with what I need and not forget anything and get out of there quickly. So yeah, I think when you think about design thinking and this innovative way to make work better, I love the idea of practice too. Um, And it also puts people at ease because if you know that you're practicing something, you're not tested. You know, you're, you're able to fail. You're able to make mistakes and move on. 
That's exactly right. I mean, I think when we say that we are in the process of practicing, it takes some of that unhelpful pressure off to be perfect. What we say, even in my own house, is practice does not make perfect. Practice makes better. Practice makes progress. And I think that's a much healthier mindset. It's a growth-oriented mindset versus what Carol Dweck would call a fixed mindset, whether you're either right or you're wrong. And just one more example on, uh, on how all of your listeners can start to think about becoming designers is that they can maybe think about their next meeting coming up and say, you know, how might I make a choice that might serve the people coming to the meeting in a different kind of way? We tend to think of meetings where we have lots of information to share at people. And we know that most people are sitting in those meetings incredibly distracted and often multitasking underneath the table. But if the person calling that meeting said, how do I make sure that this hour we spend together is the best hour of their day, it serves them in terms of getting their work done, it gets them so excited that that it's the thing that they talk about at dinner that night, they will make different choices. I promise you that. Oh, I believe it. I'll take your word for that for sure. And so let's go back to how we began the conversation and talk about some advice that you might give to HR executives who are trying to start integrating design thinking into their organizations. What would you tell them? Well, I think it's a great question. The first thing I would tell them is to really start to model those practices themselves. What does it mean to them to be a designer? How might they start off conversations with questions and not directives? How might they bring different perspectives to the table, particularly the ones that will ultimately be affected by the decisions that they're making? So by modeling these new practices, it starts to set a tone of learning and possibility. So that's a really critical aspect that that we, particularly for HR executives, marry what I would call the audio and the video. Right, so the audio is, hey, we want to be more innovative. We want to learn to be more agile, more flexible. But let's say the video is still, but we're all going to work on this old LMS system, and it's going to be very transactional in nature. Well, then all of a sudden, the beneficiaries of those decisions and those activities start to wonder what the real intent is. So I think the most important thing that HR executives can do is start to ask themselves, how do they show up differently as leaders? Because I fundamentally believe that the currency of our time, particularly as the world starts to get more complex, is learning. So if HR executives can show up as learners and as partners to the leaders in the firm as learning partners, I think everything has a much better chance of being successful. Absolutely. And I would have to throw that awesome word of practice back into that. Wouldn't you say that leaders have a right to practice as well? They must practice. And one of the most exciting examples that I've been following quite closely is what's been happening at Microsoft in the last three years. So here we have a new CEO that's come on board, Satya Nadella, who quickly realizes that Microsoft has lost its way in the market and that the answer wasn't, we got to create a new product. The answer is, we must start from within. And one of the first public declarations he made was, We have to turn Microsoft from being a know-it-all culture where we're focused on answers and perfection and status of proving the other person wrong to being a learn-it-all culture, to using empathy as a mechanism for learning about what we need within Microsoft and what our customers need. And there is no doubt that he would not be able to be as successful as he's been if he did not incorporate the entire learning organization to be his partner in this effort. 
Awesome. So don't know it all, but learn it all instead. And I think that'll be a great point to let us go ahead and start to wrap up this episode. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's been a true pleasure, Holly. And just a quick reminder to everyone that we have listening, head on over to hci.org to learn more and register online for October's HR Call to Action Conference. And as we come to this episode's end, be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed your time with us. You can find HCI on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. If you're listening on iTunes, please give us a rating. Your rating helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover the program. And so for 9 to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in.